Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm JJ Bull and I'm presenting because Joe is just too busy. He's too darn busy. But someone who wasn't, 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 yes, started well. Someone who wasn't too darn busy is John the MacDaddy McKenzie. Hello, John. Hello. That's good. Are you doing an impression of me? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, it's fine if you did, because there's someone else in the room who I don't think I do an impression of, and that is Joey D'Arso. Hello. Thanks for having me. Did you have a nice time today watching the football? I did with the TIFO lads. I'm sure a lot of people would pay a lot of money for that experience. Was... How much do you think they pay? <laughs> Out of interest. Yeah. Probably not very much. But uh, yeah, it was, you know, a little projector, some pizza. It was, it was good vibes. And we saw, well, at least one good match. Which was the good match? Well, the latter one. You'll find out later. Well, well no spoilers. Because <laughs> Joe's going to tell us uh, later and we're going to talk about, obviously, the games that happened today. There were two of them uh, and they were both just lovely. I thought they were two of the best games. Did you? No, but I'm just <laughs> trying to keep the energy up. Okay. It's like day 23 of doing these World Cup oh, live streams. Gonna... They're very fun. Uh, we should Before we go anywhere else, we should say hi to Joey's friend. Anuj. Hello. Yes. Huge fan, honestly. The biggest fan of TIFO. What is everything? Well, here's to you, and Joey's which, friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's I doesn't great. watch so much these days. He's not allowed to watch YouTube in bed anymore. So he, uh, yeah, he just, I have to tell him about it. Is he in bed at 9 p.m.? Maybe. I don't know. And if you like to go to bed at times <laughs> other than 9 p.m., <laughs> you should read The Athletic. Or if you're in bed at 9 p.m., because what better things to read than The Athletic at 9 p.m.? You can read... My Brilliant stuff. journalism by the likes of Joey D'Arso. What's the last thing you wrote, Joey? Oh, it was a piece about gambling at the World Cup, of which there is a lot, particularly as the USA is opening to sports betting, which of course is exciting for a lot of people, but also brings kind of risks in the UK. There are there are lots of problems related to gambling, so it's an interesting topic. And in you know all around the world, the sort of gambling is booming. Um, that's really interesting. I'm looking a lot into cryptocurrency and football, which is kind of my specialist subject. Yes, you do done talk a, about done cryptocurrency a TIFO a lot. video. Uh, about that a while ago uh yeah looking at all sorts of things um it's kind of a bit quieter than normal for me which is i'm quite enjoying well there's normally just so much delicious content you can't even eat it all but joey's on there so you can read lots of joey's work and i'd recommend that you do because even if he wasn't here i would say how good it is but he is here and i'll say it's fine it's really good so you should read joey's work and everyone else's work in the athletic and if you would like to do that well you can do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash tifo and then you get an offer, which is six months for one pound a month. That's the offer. It's going to be really good. So definitely do that. That'd be wonderful. And then, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about the two games, all the other football stuff, Cristiano Ronaldo. It's going to be a lovely time. So here we go. I'm going to leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Portugal.
Yes, so the first game we're going to talk about should probably be the one that just happened, and that was Portugal 23 one Switzerland. <laughs> Actual score, 6-1. Yeah, I think I wandered off at one point and it was it gone up to another goal. And normally you expect a bit of a whoop when a goal goes in, but it was so routine by that point. There was no whoop. It's good that I noticed you walked away because we were relying on you. I for, just got a glass of water, yeah. yeah for the analysis. Because I, I mean, um, yeah, Ramos, what about... Oh, so it's only 5-1 as far as Jerry's concerned. Yeah. So yes, exactly. get that goal. Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, that's a huge result for Portugal. They go through to the quarterfinals now. Uh, I don't think anyone really expected this result. The big news, we can start with it, because it's probably the overarching kind of story for it, John, is that Ronaldo was dropped for the game uh, for, well, was it disciplinary reasons? Was it because he's not as good anymore? I believe it was for disciplinary reasons, but I'm not entirely sure of the details of those. So. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows. It's a bit of both, it seems like. Yeah. Whoever you want to look at it, uh, they took him out and they immediately scored more goals than anyone else in the World Cup so far. And his replacement, Gonzalo Ramos, scored a hat-trick. The youngest player to score a hat-trick for 60 years in the World Cup. It's quite good, isn't it? Uh, So, John, are Portugal better without Ronaldo in the team? I think yes is the answer to that question. I don't think it's hugely controversial, though, that a a player who's, what, the same age as me, isn't he? So 37, um, he's just about to probably sign a contract in Saudi Arabia, um, that that guy is not the best player in the world anymore is not a huge um, uh, news story, I don't think. But we've been talking about this topic a lot in the last couple of seasons or so, um, because obviously it's not only about the decline and fall of Cristiano Ronaldo, it's also about how do you solve a problem like Manchester United? And um, yeah, these debates have, have raged on and on and on. But it was just really interesting for me tonight watching... Portugal with an actual presence in the nine slot. And we talk a lot about how you expect your number nines to do various things. And we just saw a lot of that from 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 Ramos, um, a player I've not really seen too much of, but really enjoyed watching tonight. So obviously gets a hat-trick and, and gets a hat-trick of different goals as well. So you, you have the first goal, so he picks the ball up, just a, a, a pass through into the box, takes it past the defender, swivels and then clacks it into the top corner. So one of the near posts that he absolutely yeah. thumps in. That thumps was some in. goal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that one of those angles where you see it kind of, it was the reverse of the thing where, you, where it goes out and you think it might be in. It was like, yeah. I thought it had gone out because it was such a crazy angle and then I saw they had actually scored it. Hmm. So, so already sort of get the ball quick out of your feet and then get the shot away and, and score in that way. Then obviously the, there was the Dallow ball in from, from wide angle, plays it to the front post and Ramos is running, gets in front of his, his defender and, and plays it into the bottom corner. So another sort of nice movement goal. So, um, what you, what you're wanting your nine to do. And then the final one, just a through ball that he runs onto and then, and then dinks it over the, over the goalkeeper into the goal. So three goals that you want your number nine to be at least generating those sorts of chances, but scoring them is is, is even better. So yeah, it, it just made a huge difference to the way that, that Portugal were playing. Obviously that we, we could talk about the off ball stuff as well, but we know that there's been questions about Cristiano Ronaldo's pressing and again, having a younger, fitter player in in that central spot for your, your press is really important too. So in every area, it, yeah. it made a big difference. I mean, I'm not saying that his legs have gone, but sometimes I notice it was that at some point at the end that he didn't quite run onto. Yes, well, this is the thing. I, I, everyone, if you are not of uh, mid thirties age, what you'll uh, it's still in my thirties. Uh, what you'll have noticed at some point is that you're not as fast as you once were. It just happens all of a sudden. Are you in your? How old are you, Joe? You're younger. 30. You're thirty, right? Are you still you really have fast? This then, yeah. I'm not really on speed. I've noticed this, you know, kind of 
You have to eat a bit healthier and exercise a bit more. Yeah. Well, well the, 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 I don't know. I don't sprint very often. Well, there's the thing. Maybe I mean, I what are you running away it. from? Yeah. Yeah. For buses sometimes. That's good. Yeah. Do you ever catch about, them? That's about it. Awesome. No. I've given up now. Just walk. That's good. <laughs> this is solid. So Joey's chasing buses. Have you ever seen him running? That's what he's doing. He's chasing buses. Right? Not to get on them. Just to, easy, just to keep me fit. To get rid of them. Yeah. There's something wrong with those buses. Uh, so that's one thing. But one thing that does happen is that you definitely stop being quite as quick to accelerate and to sprint. And like I said, yeah, uh, the, he, he kind of saw it in that one run. Um, but he's very important to Portugal and he has been playing in the rest of their games so far. What have you made of Portugal up till this point? Because obviously very impressive today, but did you see this result come in before? I mean, what you watched of them in the World Cup, Joey? Um, no, not really. I mean, they sort of, they didn't make great waves in their in their group stage. They They sort of beat Ghana, didn't they? They beat um, Uruguay and lost to South Korea. I didn't think they particularly pulled up any trees there. Um, you know, if you look at the, the depths in their squad, you, there are a lot of very big names. But I think people certainly weren't talking about them in the bracket of the very, very favourites for this tournament. But now I think I think they've got to be, really. I mean, Switzerland, uh, I feel like Jan Sommer is his familiar face from so many tournaments of always being in these quite... Switzerland kind of always overperform a bit, don't they? They're like... They beat France on penalty. Did they lose against Spain in the Euros last time? They're always kind of doing quite well and they just got absolutely blown away today. Um, I can't recall ever seeing Switzerland blown away. Maybe maybe I'm missing something, but it was an amazing performance, I thought. Well, that's one of the things. Switzerland, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, John, are one of the better defensive sides that are in the tournament. They're not very exciting really to watch, but they tend to be able to lock things down and get through. But then what did Portugal do that managed to... What did they do? Well, it was an interesting game because... Um, ahead of this game, you, uh, Murat Yakin, the, the Switzerland man, sorry, miles away from my mic, I'm not able to move my chair around. Um, the, the, the Switzerland manager changed up the system that they were playing. Um, they'd been playing a, a sort of 4-2-3-1 system before this, but they came out in, in something closer to a, a 5-2-1-2, as I've got it on, on the board in front of me. And it's sort of hard to know exactly why they came out in this system because I think it, ma- it it does match up very nicely to what Portugal's shape has been this tournament so you've got a, a center a center back who can mark the striker and then you've got two sort of wide players either side of them but they play quite narrow so that matches up to the to the front three you've got a, a number 10 so you've got a player who can and drop on there two eights as well so you're mirroring pretty much everywhere here and the system wouldn't change with Ronaldo in or out so like when they thought he might not be in the team Ramos should be taking up the same sort of positions from the defensive line, wouldn't he? And attacking as well. I think so, yeah. And uh, I mean, the other thing that, that Portugal have been doing is they've been playing a 4-2 uh, diamond shape. Um, so again, quite narrow, but um, they, they may have been thinking of, 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 of using that kind of shape if they brought Ronaldo in from the start. But they have been playing this pretty much through the tournament. And everyone will say, you know, there's a lot of fluidity in this in this, in this this four, these four players here. So Otavio, um not so much the nine maybe, but then the two wide players. So any of these players can really interchange if you want. So Felix, Felix can play as, as a 10. Otavio can push out to, to the left-hand side. Fernandez sometimes comes into the middle as well. So you might see Otavio over on the right as well. But lots of fluidity there. And I think that's where this sort of system that Switzerland were playing starts to break down. Because not only do you have this... The, the thing for me is this massive gap in between the fullbacks and the and the wing backs uh, on on for for either side. So, on the one hand, this means that in possession, Portugal can push if they want, push their fullbacks really high up without really losing anything. Um, but the other thing is, is that if they are in possession, and they sit deeper, then that's going to pull these wing backs further up the field and then generate space in in wider areas in the fullback areas for for um, 
Portugal to, to expand into and stuff. So it's, it's, it wouldn't be surprising to see Felix here just pushing out wide a little bit of fluidity, a little bit of fluidity of movement here. And, and before you know it, you know, you've got the ball in a wide area, you can get the ball into the box, no problem. And it felt as though this sort of thing was happening quite regularly in the game. It felt as though the, 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 the flexibility of the, of the Portuguese players was able to just find spaces in that, in that particularly back three area. Um, and, and they just, it just felt as though Portugal were constantly causing problems um, to the Swiss back line because of that. So I don't really understand why, um, Yakin went with that approach and obviously as the game went on and, and the, it started getting further and further out of the Swiss hands they switched back to a sort of 4-4-2 4-4-2-3-1 shape um, and, and they had a lot more success with that but by that point the game had gone so I think he was chasing it or was he maybe at some point going let's just stop this and get everyone a go yeah I don't know because obviously we went into this game thinking it was going to be a really low scoring affair. I thought it'd be nil-nil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, none of us thought that there was going to be a lot of goals. So it could potentially have just been a, a way of thinking, well, at least we can, we can keep, um, keep them, them pegged, but it didn't, it just didn't work. And I think the, the, the issue then was as soon as it didn't work, it took Yakin far too long to switch things back to a system that had functioned for them. And by that point it was, they were already four goals down pretty much. Um, Joey, did you watch Gonzalo Ramos closely before today? I don't know. No, I'd, but <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd heard the name, but I, I knew very little about him. I mean, he's announced himself to the world, hasn't he? I mean, uh, what's the stat? He's now scored more World Cup knockout games than Cristiano Ronaldo, which is a lot of fun. I mean, is that right? Yeah. How is because Ronaldo must have two? One. Is that right? He's got one. Yeah. I don't think he's ever scored one actually. Is that right? Not. Oh my god! Okay, because I well. think Pepe has scored two World Cup knockout goals. And I don't think Ronaldo scored any as well. So there's another interesting stat. Well, there's one for Ramos, or rather three for Ramos. In case you didn't know who he was, I'll tell you. He's a striker who plays for Benfica. And he couldn't get in the team for a couple of years ago because um, he was a boy at Liverpool, Darwin Nunez. Yes. He had the forward position. So Ramos was waiting in the, the shadows to overtake him and come out. He's really good. I thought he was going to sign for a couple of teams in the Premier League. There's actually videos that were never released on Tifo IRL, uh, about where Ramos would fit into certain clubs I was sure he was going to. Get the tape. Because of journalism. Release the tapes. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. He's really good though. He's just a striker. I don't think he's going to be like a 25 goal a season player, but he looks to me very much like, I think I said to you, John, a bit like uh, Alvaro Morata, not in style, but in that for some teams he'll score 15 a season, for some he'll be 20, then he'll be 12. But he'll go to good big clubs, I think. And... Uh, and you know those players who get like 36 games but score 13 goals or 14 goals when what you want is someone who scores 20 20 yeah but they don't they're, they're very rare there's not those, very many they? of them are no he looks good though I thought he was good mm. and he has three goals which is nice for him did anyone else stand out for you in that Portugal side today are they going to play a similar system you think in the next game will Ronaldo start the next game basically surely not you'd think it would be hard for them to you'd think it'd be hard to play yeah. him now wouldn't you um, but I've, yeah, I've been really impressed. I was really impressed with the way they played today, but I've been really impressed, impressed with their forward players anyway. So Joao Felix, obviously uh, a lot better in the, in the international game because he's not having to play under the, the relentless yoke of uh, Diego, Diego <laughs> Simeone. But um, even Atavia, I mean, the, the great thing about this game is that just the World Cup is all about just average punters coming up against t players they've never seen before and then being like, oh, this guy's great. Uh, and I've, I've not really watched much of Gonzalo Ramos either or Otavio as well, who's also playing in Portugal. And I've just been really impressed with, with both of them. We, we all know about Joao Felix. We all know about Bruno Fernandes. Um, 
but it's, it's just, I, I love just having a game this high profile and being like, oh, great. You know, this is a player that I've not really seen much of and you get to see them playing and everyone discovering them at the same time. It's, it's something different to watching like a Champions League game, isn't it? Because yeah. I, it feels more, I don't know, because you feel like more people are watching it on TV at the same time. You know how when you, like, say I was sitting at home and then uh, I'm trying to work out what to watch on TV. I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch Home Alone. I don't really fancy that just now on Netflix or whatever. But if it's on TV, I'll watch it because it's on TV, even though it's halfway through. Because there's something about it being on TV that makes it feel more like you're mm. having a shared moment watching Home Alone. And it's on like terrestrial TV. It's on in every pub you walk into. It's like people who aren't that intro, into Portuguese or Swiss or Home Alone. Like people will be talking about that goal tomorrow who wouldn't be talking about sort of Porto in the Champions League second round or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's um, called the, the biggest stage of, of football, right? And, and a part of me kind of finds that funny because like the Champions League is obviously more important, I think, for, for most football fans. But the, it is the biggest stage in the sense of exposure. Like like you're saying, everyone knows who Gonzalo, Gonzalo Ramos is now. And that means that, you know, people will be talking about him in, in offices. He will just be a known entity now for forever, right? Yeah. 20, 20 million extra on the price tag. Mm. Well, well, does that not happen anymore? Because everyone's got so much data. I think, like, well, we talked about this yesterday, uh, yesterday was yeah. it? We're, so our theory is, well, my theory anyway, I can't talk for you possibly, John, <laughs> but uh, like scouts and analysts, they know who all these players are. Like yeah. they know who Gonzalo Ramos is. They've seen him play for Benfica a lot of times. They also have data that would put him, they'd put in a model and this like computer would come up with something that tells you that if you went to the Premier League, he'd be this good. And they give yeah. you actual numbers to tell you how good they are. But the thing is, sometimes you can't quantify, or I think that's probably the right word I'm looking for, how good someone is when they're playing different situations and a different pressure with different players that like you can't, you don't know how that guy's going to react off Ronaldo. You don't know how he's going to bounce off someone like Bruno Fernandes playing that kind of passes to him because he's only played in certain systems with certain players. So I think some players, you think they're getting better with age. Like I was talking about, it was uh, Moises Caicedo uh, um, in Ecuador, really good player, really highly rated. He's a very good midfielder. And you think, well, when he's 26 or seven, he'll be an amazing player. I think he won't be that much different to how he is now. It's just that he'll be playing with better players because he's done it for a couple of years. People are like, oh, I'll have a risk in him now. And so he'll look like a much better player because he's surrounded by, uh, where's he going to go? I don't know. Make up a team. Arsenal, Liverpool, one of those, right? So he goes there and suddenly he's surrounded by even better players than what Brighton have. And then he looks like a better player. Does that make sense? Am I right? I think that does make sense. Yes, good. I'm right. <laughs> and that's the most important thing of all. Uh, what else are we talk about with Portugal? Uh, Pepe scored. He's still playing. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? The, the, at the age of, what was he, 39? Is he, 39. 39, 409, yeah. I think. <laughs> I mean, he's two years older than us, JJ. Is he? Yeah. Oh. That's depressing, isn't it? What were you doing two years from now? <laughs> <laughs> at my age, yeah. Mozart had been dead for five years or something. Yeah, that's depressing also. Yeah, we were sitting on the sofa eating cheeseburgers while we watched the football <laughs> on TV. That's what we did. They were very nice, though. It was. The footballs we're talking about. Um, Portugal, are they going to win the World Cup now, Joey? I think they could. Uh, I actually, I went Just to... Just to neck out too much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they can win the World Cup. Yes, they will win the World Cup. Okay. There you go. Clip it embarrass me when they get battered in the next round by Morocco is that Morocco it's the right that's right isn't it yes um, so I mean that's a favourable draw isn't it like even though Morocco have obviously done very well part of the quarterfinals to play England or France I, I went to Lisbon uh, a few weeks ago and I actually did a piece for The Athletic on Cristiano Ronaldo yes you did what were you doing in Lisbon so was it you went there to do a piece on Ronaldo no I went there to speak at an event called Web Summit about 
cryptocurrency and football and why I think it's generally a very bad thing. And I gave a, a, a speech about that and spoke on a couple of other panels as well. Yeah. And while I was there, I thought, you know, why not write about this big story of of Portugal and 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 uh, Ronaldo and the sort of relationship between? Because it, it was a funny time when I went because it was before the famous interview with Piers Morgan. It was um, when basically in this country, Cristiano Ronaldo's reputation had got pretty, you know, it wasn't working at Manchester United. Ten Hag had dropped him. But in Portugal, it hadn't quite reached that point yet. And people were a bit sort of, you know, oh, we know he's a bit, you know, <laughs> he's a bit of trouble, but we think he's got that special thing going on. And then I think with that interview, he really lowered his reputation in Portugal. Is that right? In Portugal as well? Yeah. And there was actually a poll in the Portuguese press. I mean, I don't know the exact reliability of this particular poll but that said that 70 percent of portuguese people wanted him to be benched um today so i think his his stature as this icon of portuguese football has been you know he will still be probably the best portuguese player ever but his star has been somewhat faded by the events of of the last few weeks i think yeah it's been an odd year um when you're talking about the cryptocurrency bits and pieces that you're doing there could you because obviously it's quite a wide subject and you don't have Another hour to do. No, there's a video on TV, I believe, about fan tokens, which. Yes. Yeah. Uh, socials are called, isn't it? Yeah. Fan tokens, yeah. Um, so, what was it you were doing talking to in this fan convention? What, what did you say? Why is it bad, this cryptocurrency stuff? Why is Bring it mind bad? We are live on a stream. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll choose my words carefully. I think it's bad because I think it's a way to transfer money from uh, football fans, who are generally not especially well off people, to very rich people uh, like um, the people who run these big companies, like people who run football clubs like professional footballers who have huge salaries people buy these tokens which don't really do anything and have in many cases crashed in value um lots of them in places like turkey where people generally have less money than they do in places like the uk and european countries and this money lines the pockets of wealthy european football club uh people so that's what i think is essentially going on past lots of complex technology and fancy words and i think it's a bit of a scandal in plain sight and football is at fault for a large part of that how big football clubs are and if people wanted to find out more about that, they can follow you on Twitter and your articles in The Athletic, I suppose, would be a good place yes, to go. Yes, that would be a good place to start. Remember, forward slash TIFO. You've seen, we've seen a lot of crypto adverts on billboards at, at the World Cup, but there's uh, suggestions that cryptocurrency is not long for this world. So what's, what's your general take on that? Is that just a... Yeah, I mean, so there's Crypto.com, which is this sort of slightly mysterious cryptocurrency exchange, which started throwing huge sums of money at sport. The uh, arena in Los Angeles is now, was for a long time, the Staples Center, named after a household stationary firm, and is now named after a crypto exchange. Um, that 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 has its adverts all over the all over the World Cup, but that firm is under serious pressure at the moment. This big crypto exchange called FTX. You've probably seen the guy with his baggy shorts and crazy hair, um, who is under, you know. Uh, that whole thing has gone completely belly up and people have lost their money. Um, that hasn't happened to crypto.com yet, but it could happen at any point. The whole industry is kind of tanking and it looks pretty pretty bad, I think, to have that plastered all over the World Cup where people from all around the world are watching. So the problem with those things is that I have to pay attention all the time. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'll just keep talking about... Uh, well, normally I'm looking at what the next thing to do is... It's and about I, my crypto, which I'm planning to launch on this live stream. Are you? I was thinking it'd be quite funny to do one. I shouldn't tell that, actually, because it'd be funny to do it as a video one day. Uh, yes, so that's <laughs> something. That's something. Like the JJ coin? No, I don't want to do that. Um, I don't fully understand enough about it to possibly talk about it confidently on the live stream which i was just hoping to lean on you and then i could yeah. sort of look at the chat for a bit and maybe come up with our next topic and while i come up with our next topic you know what we should do have a break
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back from the break. Oh, did you feel, do you feel nice after the break? Yes. Yeah, it's actually a break. Yes, that was the break. We've done it. We're back now. Cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that, yeah. <laughs> it was good. So a few minutes to sort of get in the zone. And, yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> okay, well, that was it. That was the break done. So the first game, obviously, was Portugal. The next game was Morocco nil, Spain nil. But it was 3-0 on penalties, wasn't it? 4-1 on penalties. Sorry, I've got that wrong. That's what it was. If we're counting the game in passes, it would be Morocco 305, Spain 1019. Wow. It's almost Japan-Spain-esque. Well, it was two teams with a very different approach to the game. I just published a video on Tifo IRL uh, before we record this live stream, so you can see that on Tifo IRL on YouTube if you want to go and have a look. Uh, I've done that one. But uh, John told me two things that he noticed after I'd done the video that I didn't include. <laughs> so, John, what did you make of this game? How did Morocco beat Spain? Yeah, so in your video, you talked about how Morocco sat in a fairly low block. Um, I had them down as like playing a 4-1-4-1. And then essentially they were just dropping quite narrow in this midfield line here with the two wide players actually dropping in alongside um, the, the number eights. And then Amrabat, who has had an incredible tournament uh, as, as the defensive midfielder in the middle there yes we should talk about him a little bit first shouldn't we so we're going to fully into what they do what does he do differently to other people in his position i don't think he necessarily does things differently but he is playing a role that maybe we don't see so much at the highest level of, of elite football which is a purely defensive uh, number six or four or whatever you want to call them yeah. um and he was just really really remarkable in 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 the whole tournament so far in so far as he's just a really good at ball winning getting the ball under control and then recycling it to his teammates so that they can that they can get it forward quickly. So the idea is that they're going to sit deep, they're going to absorb pressure, and then they've got these really exciting players in in Bufal and Ziek in the in the in the wide positions and then you've got Masrawi and Hakimi so but two of the best fullbacks slash wingbacks in world football and um yeah you've got L N El Nesri um, as well, I think that's wrong. That is wrong, isn't it? I may have spelled his name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but he's sort of like a, a, a really good hold-up striker, really good back to goal, and so you have this team who can absorb pressure from teams who are holding possession, uh, and then break at speed to to be able to get forward and, and generate all of these problems. And yeah. the things that I noticed that they, they did really well is just maintaining the tempo. So the obviously Spain, as you mentioned, sort of die the death of a thousand passes. We know that Spain are going to... 19 passes. 1019, <laughs> yeah. So we know that Spain are going to look to possess the ball, but actually the difference between these two teams in terms of tempo like is really noticeable ghost. for me. A good, what? Like possess the ball. That's right, yeah. They want to hold it under their spell. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, Sp Spain are all about retaining possession of the ball and then moving the ball down the field 
retaining that possession all the way uh, and then trying to generate a chance from those from those sorts of situations but this worked really well in in Morocco's favor I think because Morocco are going to attack at speed and if they lose the ball in the in the opposition half because Spain are going to try and retain possession and, and get it under control and it's all about control this system they have time to then fall back into their block again and I felt as though the 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 tempo that Morocco are using to get forward was not being matched by Spain trying to get the ball back in behind so you, you just have this sort of cat and mouse game of of one team going into the opposition half if it loses if they lose the ball falling back into this block uh, and, and being able to actually stop Spain from really causing any problems at all so yeah and then the thing with Morocco is that they're actually like you think of them as how do I word this without sounding uh bad you think of them as being Morocco, they're not going to be very good. They're going to have all right players. They'll be one of these teams that does quite well and gets knocked out eventually, like quite early on in the tournament. It's what you kind of maybe have in your, I can't think of the words I'm trying to say are, but you know, that's what you might think of them. That's maybe your just view. What am I saying? Preconception. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you for the help there. Uh, it's all that spooky possession. I've been taken over by someone who can't talk properly. <laughs> and so what Morocco do actually have like you're saying, Hakimi Mazraoui are two very, very good fullbacks. Then what you've got is Aguerd, who is a really expensive signing for West Ham. So he's playing Premier League, probably the top uh, rated league in the entire world. And Saiz also plays in the Premier League still, doesn't he? Has he moved he's now? Moved to, has he moved to Turkey? Well, he was at Wolves anyway. So like, so it's a good, at least one good quality centre-back. Those two were excellent, I thought, in this game. And then you've got Amrabat, who's come out as one of the stars of the World Cup so far, I'd say. And then Bufal and Ziyech, have all this skill and creativity and genuine like work rate defensively. They're doing a lot of running those two. And what I notice is when they when they break, it's very easy for someone to fire a ball up up the line to someone like Ziek, and for him to then knock out for a throw or something like that, and you know or not struggle to keep it. But he finds a little way to take a one touch and then flick it inside so the move keeps going. So those two facilitate those breaks so cleverly because they're great players. Mm. That's one thing Japan had when they got the ball and they're breaking. They had to keep going in a straight line always. But what these guys are doing is they're getting the ball up to them quickly and they're doing something smart that keeps these moves flowing. And then that you say Inezri and the two other midfielders are quite functional and they just fill the gaps that you need in that team. And like one of the things they do, I noticed in this game, is that they're amazing off the ball while Spain are amazing on the ball. I don't know. What do you think of Morocco, Joey? Yeah, I've been very, I've been impressed by them. I think you know they haven't conceded. They've conceded one goal, which was an own goal. I mean, I think anyone's going to find them. Oh yeah, hard to break down. Yeah, um, which is a pretty amazing achievement, isn't it? Oh, uh, you tell me. Yeah, I'm amazed by that achievement. <laughs> uh, Did you think they'd be this good? No, absolutely not. Although I do have them in a sweepstake, which I've organised myself, and someone suggested it might be corrupt. But <laughs> if it was corrupt, it would have to be me rigging the World Cup rather than the sweepstake, because you would never have guessed that Morocco would be this good. And as a man who often goes after the corrupt within yeah. of the world, that's He's exactly the sort of person you'd expect. You'd to never come, expect yeah. Joy Darcel yeah. to be the one who gets away with it. I think the, yeah, I think the pot is fifty pounds, so the stakes aren't huge, but they're 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 substantial. And when you say yeah. you've done this yourself, is this in your own house? You've done the sweepstakes? No, with thirty-one other friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends. Yeah. Oh, okay. is the, how does the fifty pounds divvy out? Like, how far do you need Morocco to go before you're in the in the I money? Think you would like ten quid if they get to a semi, maybe. Ooh. Yeah, might be more than I think it's seventy. I don't know. I organised it. It's well, down somewhere. Are you expecting that money to arrive in your bank account any day soon? No, I'm not. Um, I think they'll lose to Portugal. But Why do you think that? Because I just thought Portugal were brilliant in attack today. I mean, I think they really started clicking. I think I thought Jao Felix was a, a fantastic. I mean, there's one moment which jumped out to me was where he just sort of ran with, skipped with the ball, passed about three players and then, you know, no, didn't lead to a goal. But 
It's just, I, and, you know, reflecting on my trip to Lisbon, are these, some of these players stepping out of the long shadow of Ronaldo, which I think is one of those kind of intangible things that I think it's, I think it's real, you know. I think um, if you're a young Portuguese attacker, you, you've, this guy's like a god to you, you know. I think, um, I think Ramos was, was two or three years old when Ronaldo made his international debut. He's known nothing else than a Portuguese team with Ronaldo in it. That must be kind of intimidating or the, players like Felix as well. Um, oh, that's an interesting point actually about Felix going past players because when you look at how Spain took on the team they lost to earlier <laughs> who was it? Japan Japan like, what? no Morocco, Morocco yeah Spain losing to Morocco <laughs> uh, in that game that we're talking about right now thank you <laughs> my word please pay attention a bit more uh, so like Portugal have Felix being able to go past players that's what I'm trying to say I'm back in the game now we're back we're all fine <laughs> so uh, Joe Felix is able to run past players and that's what makes a difference. If you're playing against someone who's defensively solid, if you've got a player who can go past someone, that's really useful. And we saw it late on in the Spain game that uh, Nico Williams came on and John Hartson was saying, oh, he's done really well. Uh, but he he did well because they're getting a bit tired and he was playing on the outside, able to run past people at that late stage of the game. And that's what made a real difference to them in the, the closing stages of the match. But they didn't really have that for most of the game. And so like you're saying Portugal were really good in attack. And so that's why maybe they look yeah. like the favourites against Morocco. But I thought I thought Spain were absolutely brilliant. I mean, they tore one of the teams apart, wasn't it? Like five? Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Five nil, seven, seven nil. There we go. Hmm. Uh, and they're playing really so, quick football. But I think what I've noticed after seeing the Brazil game is that where Spain lacked a bit of incisiveness, uh, Brazil definitely had that. Where Spain maybe don't pe- play with penetration. Is that what's holding them up? I, th- I think it's really interesting because, like, when you're coming up against uh, a low block like this, the the thing you've got to do is you've got to cause the opposition structural problems. And I don't think Spain managed to do that really at all because they're they are so structured, they are so functional in a lot of respects. So, um, when on in in the game today, we saw obviously Spain playing in this sort of classic positional play way where you're trying to get your five players in your forward line yeah. attacking the space between the, the 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 opposition defenders and then everyone else pushes up so you're in this sort of in this sort of structure here and what what i noticed was that the only real attempt that they had to to break down the structure was was in the area on the left hand side so you've got you've got danny olmo here and and um he says here he means on the tactics board you yeah, can watch sorry. the live stream you see um you have Danny, Danny Olmo on the on the left hand side of the pitch here, and what's going to happen is they're they're going to do this rotation where Olmo pulls pulls inside and Alba goes forward. And the idea there is that you're you're going to try and cause some kind of problems between the the Morocco fullback and the Morocco wide player here. Actually, what I thought they did really well, Morocco, is that they were just really disciplined in making sure they always had these two players in the coverage in these. In, in the two wide areas. So Hakimi and Ziyech on one side and then Masrawi and Bufal on the other. Um, and what you have to do if you're, if you're playing a team who's going to block low like this, we saw um, England doing it a little bit against Senegal, or they were a little bit more aggressive in their, in their pressing, is that you've got to have these rotations where you're trying to pull these players out of position to then generate space that you can, that you can then attack. And I thought, yeah, the, the Morocco were just really excellent in just keeping that 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 structure here, making sure that their um, wide players were always behind the ball, so that they weren't allowing any space in those wide areas. They push, pushed out with their eights quite a lot in the press. So usually, if if the ball goes to a, like a fullback here, you might expect your your winger to push up on on the fullback. But actually, we saw the eights coming in, and again, that was because they didn't want to have their their wide players in Ziyech and Buffal pulled out position as well. Um, so just a really, really um, structured block. And the big question is going to be, can Portugal be more 
creative in the way that they break that down. And I think they probably can because I think what we saw in the game tonight was that, as we said, they've got those those four players in the in their in their forward unit who are quite flexible. They can move around. They can pull players apart. They can generate space. Um, and that that's for me going to be the really interesting question about that quarterfinal is what difference will it make Portugal playing not in this really structured positional way that Spain play but in this more free-flowing fluid um, Portuguese style and you uh, you know what it reminded me of when we uh, were playing very well in that last five-a-side when we were keeping the diamond structure <laughs> and we're always going back in making sure that we're passing on the men who are running past us that's what it was I think it was all that just five-a-side Sol discipline. What's what formation do you play in five aside when you play Joey? Oh god! Uh, last time I played five aside, I ended up going to the hospital because I thought I'd broken my foot, and it was just like I'd hurt. It wasn't. It was very embarrassing to have an X-ray, and they're just like, "You'll be fine. Take some paracetamol." Um, it wasn't part of a really elaborate dive, was it? You yeah, no. <laughs> had to really follow through on it. Uh, I haven't played five. I always enjoy it. I'm just not very good. Oh, that's a shame. <clears throat> I'm sorry to hear that. Bad. Uh, prayers for Joey Darso, please, in the chat. Thank you. I think what. Um, one of the fun things in that Spain game was the the substitutes before the penalty shootout. Was it Pablo Sarabia came on? And well, what happened? Yeah, because Sarabia came on to take a penalty, which he subsequently, which is exactly what happened the in the Euros final with England. Um, with was it Saka and Sancho that both came on, or Rashford? Rashford? I think all three did. All three of them come well, on. I think one of them. The I think Saka was already on the pitch. Anyway, two of them were subs and and missed it. And it's that whole thing of like, no matter how good your stats are, no matter how good you are in training, no matter how many penalties you you scored surely it's hard to just Martin Noble did it for West Ham against Man United in the Premier League not so long ago if the, your first kick is a shootout that must be terrifying huge amount of pressure I think to put a, put someone on to you be feel like, the ball like you must yeah. have to get a feel the ball even though it's, it's different kicking the ball on the sidelines than the one on the pitch I'm sure of it I also, I also just think if you're brought on to take a penalty it just ramps up the pressure of you taking that penalty because the expectation is well you we, we brought someone off who's worse at penalties than you so that we can bring you who's better at penalties on. So you have to score this. And it just sort of, Sarabia's was the first penalty as well. And um, like the same with this, the Japan game yesterday, where the first penalty sort of set the tone for the rest of the, the rest of the shootout. Japan missed two in a row and then Spain probably missed three, right? After Sarabia missed the first one. There must be like stats on this. I mean, someone must have crunched the numbers. I, I just can think of several high profile cases where it's, and it kind of looks worse than if you just keep the, people remember it. Whereas if you just, leave the guy on who misses it. No one's kind of like, that was terrible management, but it's such an active thing to do that everyone, I don't know, I'm sure the Spanish The interesting thing is, is that we've only, we don't, we rarely see the, the Louis van Gaal move, which is bringing on a goalkeeper before a penalty shootout and that worked out. And so I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that because that's the sort of thing that would happen. People when would like, did he do that? that was, when was that? 2000, Tim Krul, when he brought him on against Costa Rica, 2014. Right. And then <laughs> that will tell us when we're on. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be live dubbed. <laughs> <laughs> and Chelsea uh, of course with Sarri and uh, Kepa unsuccessfully tried to yes. do it and he refused to come off yes. and, then, and then he saved the penalty didn't he did not win that penalty shootout I believe well I mean I think if you're relying on penalties you've done something wrong anyway but before we move on to talking about how uh, these teams might need to do what and where in the uh, the next games or whatever uh, how uh, will Spain this Spain team be remembered like will they be remembered did they waste a big chance here that's an interesting question because I feel as though the next time the World Cup swings around, you know, they've got a lot of players who are going to be very good. They're going to be in their peak. So your your Gabbies and your Pedris. Your your Pedri. Yeah, or just Pedri and Gabby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your Pedris and your Gabbies. And, yeah. Yeah. Or they, just Pedri. 
Yeah, you're Pedri. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're going to be at their peak, right? And there's still a lot of great players in that in that squad who will still be around at that point, and they will develop more players. Um, I, su- I suppose Luis Enrique might not be there, but the criticism I think that people will have of this team was that they were too structured, that they were playing positional play, and they didn't seem to have the the sorts of flexibility that is required in order to break down lower blocks. And I, I suppose, you know, we, we always have these endless discussions about whether or not having a really simple game model is the best approach for a World Cup. Um, and perhaps by now we've got to this point where we've we've recognised that, you know, the, the, the elite European style that we see in like Champions Leagues, which people expect to be the the best way of playing football. Maybe they aren't at this at this sort well, of Well, this is an interesting question, game. isn't it? Because... We look at the, the teams are doing very well. They don't really have club managers in charge. So, we, like England, have got Gareth Southgate, who is definitely a tournament international manager. I would say right now, uh, France have Deschamps, who is probably definitely the same thing. Germany's best manager they've had was Yogi uh, Love, and now, well, I guess the last two tournaments didn't work out very well either. So maybe I'm totally wrong. Fernando Santos does he count as a club manager? Yeah, he's yeah no, he's definitely an international yeah. tournament manager. So like, there must be a difference in approaching a tournament as a tournament manager than there is as a club one. Yeah, and you've got Luis Enrique, Hansi Flick has failed. Potentially, you know, Roberto Mancini as well. Obviously, they won the Euros, but yes. they failed to qualify this time. And that's three big names. Are, are there any big name club managers still in the World Cup? Vigal. Van Hart, yeah. yeah. Okay, Van Hart feels different insofar as he feels like he's like an older older. Yeah, he's sort of at the end of his career. Thing. Whereas the other two are younger. Do we just name more teams? <laughs> Do we just name more teams? <laughs> but I, I think there's definitely something in it in, insofar as the, a lot of these coaches aren't particularly tactically um, complex or, or interesting, right? Well, exactly. Like uh, Leo Scaloni, Argentina, brand new basically to management. So... I mean, he's done a few things differently. You've talked about that and when a, an IRL video, John's done a video on how Argentina have evolved uh, during this tournament alone. But it's not hugely complicated. It's very, that you can really see it if you're looking at it. Netherlands, I would say, there is quite a bit of tactical complexity and depth to it. And there's lots of very subtle movements that make this the shape change a lot. And I wonder whether these things like Van Gaal's saying things like, they play the same as Brazil, is that you said that? <laughs> so John told me earlier that Van Gaal's saying that Brazil play the same as Netherlands, but they get all the attention basically in Brazil. You know, Netherlands don't. But I wonder if it's just because he's done something really smart and like, I have noticed it, it's okay. Uh, but a lot of people maybe haven't, and so he's not getting the credit. So he needs to start putting yeah. things out. You know, I'm not saying it's the same thing. You know it how is... like a serial killer goes back to the scene of the crime and they like, <laughs> like Zodiac. start going like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying... Leo Vingal has committed murders. I'm not saying that. I have to cut this bit out. <laughs> he's live. Oh no, he's going to sue us. Well, I'm, I'm saying he's not. Right. He's not. He's definitely not. Yeah. I would like to distance myself from all of these comments. <laughs> from the swirling allegations. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's like he's trying, to get, he's trying to let people know what he's doing, but you should do that at the end so people don't start looking into it too much and figuring all yeah. that sort of stuff I mean, out. Before this World Cup, there was what, a week? I mean, that's barely enough time to sort of have a nice bath and get on the plane to Qatar, isn't it? I mean, surely they would have had no time whatsoever to prepare complex, detailed, which is the kind of, I know you guys have spoken about this before, but complex attacking patterns and all that sort of thing that goes on at club level, I mean. Well, this is, I mean, the relevant thing in talking about the games we've seen tonight, Portugal are going to play Morocco next, right? So that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would they have to do looking at what Morocco do to try and beat them? Because Morocco, I'd imagine, will do similar things and try and play without the ball 
And how do you break that down? Do Portugal have enough to be able to deal with the counterattacks? Yeah, I think that there's two things. One of them is like, can you break down that structure? Um, and I think the easiest way of breaking down that structure is probably going to be playing at higher tempo than Spain uh, in terms of going direct when you win the ball in your own half. And I think Portugal can definitely do that. But the, as I said before, what I felt with Spain was that, yes, they're going to possess the ball well. They're going to get into nice areas of the pitch. They're going to be able to they're going to be able to structure themselves nicely across the pitch, but they're just giving Morocco all the time in the world just to sit back in that block. Whereas I think with Portugal, they can turn the ball over and then try and get forward and, and beat Morocco back to their block. And if you can do that, then there'll just be much more space to, to, to be able to exploit. And then the other thing being that, as we've said, there's just a lot more fluidity in that Portuguese forward line. There's, there's, the the space and freedom given to them to be able to change positions and and pull players around a little bit and if you can I do that, I wonder if them a bit as well. Like they'll maybe just have just a deeper line, in. yeah, to try and beat them out a bit. Like in the second half, I think maybe uh, you, you watched it back, didn't you? Maybe I'm wrong, but I think Morocco pushed forward about ten fifteen meters, put the defensive line up so they weren't so close to their own goal. And that meant there's a little bit of space in behind, and that's when you saw Morata come on because suddenly there's room in behind for Spain to get in to get in behind that. And Portugal. I think this would be a game where they don't want to play Ronaldo, especially back to Ronaldo again. But uh, that's definitely probably relevant because um, you want pace in behind if they do play that high line. So that's one thing you might see. Uh, who do? Um, oh, that's two teams. Morocco go through and Portugal go through. Yeah, that's it. It's weird that Spain are gone now. I really thought they were going to do a lot better than that. And Pedri's out. Was he Your one of the Pedri. standouts? Yeah, was he one of the standouts in the tournament? I don't think so, but again, the question is going to be how much was he sort of shackled by that that structural approach that Luis Enrique. But he's one of the best ones at it, so he facilitates that. Him and Gavi are very good at nipping in and out. I mean, Gavi's been Gavi's not been quite as good as I think everyone says about. It. I think Gavi's a very very great player. I think Pedri's got the little je ne sais yeah, quoi. the X factor. Yes, was it was it Tiki Taka? Uh, I don't know what is it. Well, the, the, my, my sort of less tactical like, tactical advanced brain sees it as like I don't know just very similar to 2010 and a Spain team that passes another to death and that in that case won every game 1-0 and in this case failed to is that is that an overly simplistic comparison well it's interesting because people who a lot of them all definitely Guardiola when labelled with a tiki-taka thing say they don't like tiki-taka why? <laughs> uh, because they don't want it to be like passing the team to death it's meant to be so they've got control of the game so they can then dictate things the way they want to but it does end up looking an awful lot like that, like Tiki Taka. And Luis Enrique at Barcelona uh, very much moved away from the, the style of football that he inherited and made it more counter-attacky. Uh, and what you saw, like uh, Neymar, Messi and uh, Suarez mm. would often stay quite high and they just get the ball into them in the channels really quickly and you just go. And so they were they were really good, Luis Enrique. He won the treble, didn't they? They won the Champions League, yeah, the Liga and the Spanish Cup, I think. Uh, they were one of the best Barcelona sides. But because Guardiola set it up, you know, you think of him being the great architect. Enrique was phenomenal there. Uh, I think when people use the phrase tiki-taka, it's usually used pejoratively as, as, as to this sort of sense that passing for the sake of passing, right? Always never going forward. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I, there have been a few coaches who were accused of tiki-taka claiming that they don't like the phrase. I think Pep Guardiola is on record saying yeah. that he doesn't like the phrase. Um, I don't think necessarily the issue here is is the passing for the sake of passing i think it's more the, uh, the issue is that you you end up sort of coming up against a, a block and you don't seem to have any solutions for it um and uh, again as we're saying like is the question do you simply not have the 
time to work with this squad to be able to do the sort of intricate possession rotations that you need in order to be able to do that kind of thing um or is it the case that actually the 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 coaching hasn't been good enough for them for them to be able to solve those problems because i showed you before that rotation they did with with danny olmo coming inside and and jordi alba pushing up that seemed to be all they really had as a, as a solution to to like a lower block and um I, I think like a team like man city under guardiola he can, he's just got a lot more flexibility because they've worked so long together on all of this stuff that they can they, he can just implement more solutions during the game to be able to kind of solve those problems well speaking of rotations <laughs> it's time for a break that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And we're back, and we're going to talk about the two games coming up on the next live stream we're doing. This is Friday, which is Croatia versus Brazil and Netherlands versus Argentina. These are very exciting games. Very exciting, isn't I'm it? I'm looking forward to them. Oh, yes. Are you looking forward to them? I'm really looking forward Good. to them. Good. I mean, Croatia are just kind of like glide. I've sort of barely made an impression on the tournament so far, and they're in the quarterfinals. Is that fair? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Croatia versus Brazil. Who's going to win that? What do you think of this one? Yeah, Brazil. But uh, I mean, Croatia are a wily, wily nation at this level, aren't they? I mean, they, they win games. They beat England four years ago. Brazil are better than England were four years ago. Yeah, Brazil will beat Croatia, I think. It's a bold statement. We'll do our statement? scores in a second for points are bad. That's coming up soon. Don't you worry. Uh, I can see Netherlands beating Argentina, though. Well, yeah, I think this is so. I think Netherlands versus Argentina is the box office smash, isn't it? Because Brazil have been like amazing fun to watch. They were so good in that last game. That goal that he scored, Richarlison. Oh yeah, with a little. <laughs> yeah, the movement. So that's the kind of incisive passing that Spain couldn't offer. I think against Morocco was uh, the the third man run, basically just running over the ball. So when it comes through, you've broken the line. It's really hard to do that. You can't really program teams. I guess you can train it a little bit. And it's just absolutely perfect, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's symbiosis of like intent on the part of three players to just do the set, the right thing. You ever put in a right session order. before where you get the centre forward to dribble ball his head first before you <laughs> go into a third man that's run? That's the job? first warm up that I do with my centre forwards. I'm like, right, we'll do the what do they call it, the seal, the thing, curse on the seal. seal dribble. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's good. Once you've, once you've nailed that one, you can do all the others right. So. It's ambitious. They didn't cover that in my SFA coaching. <laughs> Uh, courses but maybe that's where Scotland are going wrong mm. we should be all dribbling with the head with the head keep, it off, keep it off those muddy pitches in Scotland the head is the foot of the legs that's what we call it anyway so Croatia are alright Brazil are probably going to win Netherlands Argentina I can't call yeah it's an interesting one because the Netherlands approach is to sit deep absorb pressure and then hit on the counter attack 
and Argentina don't want to leave too much going forward. Although that's kind of how Saudi Arabia got them, hmm. was them starting to push forward a little bit more. Actually, no, I would say more with Argentina and Saudi Arabia was the gap between the back line and the front line and no midfield. But <clears throat> I, I really don't know. Because you think Netherlands won't do anything different tactically, I wouldn't have thought. They'll play the same front three rotations, Gakpo, Klassen and, uh, and Memphis Depay. And they'll wait to hit with uh, Dunzel and Fries on the, the right-hand side as an extra forward. And that'll be against Acuna, a left-back, I guess, at Argentina. So these won't put him forward, probably, keep him level. Yeah, I'm not sure. I get, the, the, the thing with the Netherlands is that I felt that their game plan against the US was good, but they actually enacted it quite badly at times. Like was, it felt like a lot of their attempts to break down the, the, the USA team through the counter was were just not well enacted. Um, so, yes, they I think they, they, they sort of finished very efficiently in that game, but against uh, a better team... There's two things. One is, will they be better in defending those transitional moments? But the other one is, I felt like the US actually had quite a lot of joy going forwards, um, but they didn't have the players to to be able to really um, exploit those moments as dangerously as they probably could. Um, and obviously, Argentina do have those players, so it's going to be. It's a question for me of like, how good are the the Netherlands at making the most of those moments where they sit deep, absorb pressure and then try and hit at speed. Because a very Spurs way of playing at the moment, isn't it? It's very uh, Antonio Conte. You you sit deep, you bait the opposition in and then you win the ball back and then try and expand at, at speed. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm just not convinced that that the, the Dutch are actually as good defensively as, as maybe Louis van Gaal thinks. Uh, but I also don't think that they're necessarily as good going forward as, um, as Van Gaal thinks. I've got the quote, actually, that we mentioned before. Oh, yes. That's um, so this is Van Gaal. He said, Brazil play the same football as us. Counter football, starting from a compact defence. And my friends from the media say it's sparkling football, while we do the same. Our goal was much more beautiful than theirs. Ours was a team goal. 20 passes in high tempo. So mind games. It could be mind games. Sort of Ferguson versus Wenger era. Because the winner of Netherlands versus Argentina would go through to play the winner of... Um, Brazil-Croatia. Brazil-Croatia. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. Wow. What a time to be alive. It's big, isn't it? Brazil against Argentina's World Cup semi-final would be... It would, I mean, that's the game... That kind of should be a final, it would really. Be, yeah, it would be amazing. Uh, Good luck to the stadium security for that one. I mean, it's, it's clearly... Those two are the biggest supported teams on the outside the the Arab countries. In, so, I mean, Morocco's crazy, them getting there. I mean, it's a to state the obvious, it's a huge moment for all the Arab countries in a World Cup in Qatar. I mean, there's huge, so many fans there out supporting Morocco. It's, it's kind of nice to see because, you know, I went to Qatar in July and I gave a, gave some videos for your brilliant long video there. And the, the accusation that Qatar is not an authentic football country is a very fair one, I think, in many ways. But, you know, people that have just popped on a short flight from Morocco and are now having a great time, I mean, good for them. Uh, yeah, I mean... For their flares and whatever else, I mean, it's nice, isn't it? Like, I mean, for example, with England, like, there's not that many fans there. No, it does seem to be a slightly <laughs> older crowd for the England fans. An older crowd, yeah, yeah, definitely, very much so. Well, good old World Cup. And uh, speaking of good old things, you know what time it is? Points, points are, are bad. bad. It's time for points. Points are bad. So, uh, Joey, you you can't play this, but uh, I would like it if you could, but you can't. So, yeah. I understand. But I'm glad that you're here. I'll, I'll observe. Okay, so uh, Joe has made a spreadsheet, or someone's made a spreadsheet that Joe has told me any, <laughs> the point where we remember I don't know how to do numbers. So uh, what happened was that I had a bad day. I had a bad day. 
So did Joe. We were both last on nine points each. Mm. Because do we read out the scores that we got wrong? Do we read what they were? I don't think so. But just no. just say we were miles off on the Portugal. Yeah, I said nil nil for Portugal, and so therefore for that one, quite clearly I seven got seven points. Yeah, I got many less because it was six one, so I got seven points yeah. for one. Yeah, and then yeah, Joe got six for that. John, what did you get? You got five points for that one, and you got three points for Morocco v Spain because that you said it was going to be two one to Spain, and it was in fact nil nil. So what we're looking at here is uh, a problem because me and Joe both go last. Joe's put his scores in already. So for Brazil Croatia, Joe has said it will be Croatia one, Brazil three. Wow, a high score, and then that means it's me. So I'm going to say Croatia nil, Brazil two. Yeah, and that means that Seb, because he's not here, because it's Seb. Uh, Does Seb I, not go last? Uh, he, he must have come first today. No, he? you're joint with him, okay. but it's in alphabetical order. Okay. So he goes first. Yeah, Seb obviously comes before John. That's right, yes, yeah. uh, reverse order. <laughs> okay, nice. So he wanted 2-1, Brazil 1, Croatia 2. What? That can't be right. He's gone rogue. Wait, that can't be right. He says Brazil won Croatia too. That's what he's written down. A bold move by Seb Stafford Bluer. He's taking yeah, no prisoners move. here. That is and to stand up for my bold brethren. <laughs> bold, sorry. <laughs> it's the vowel sounds. Bold move, I should say. A Steve Bold. Steve Bold move. And John, therefore, what would you say your score is for Croatia versus Brazil? So Joe went 3-1, you went 2-0, Seb went 1-2, so I could go 2-1. 2. Two to Brazil. Brazil, okay, 2-1. Um, I should tell everyone, because um, in case you don't know, the scores are very tight at the moment, at the moment before I even put these scores in, because I put those in now. At the moment, it leaves, so what we've got, Joe is currently last, okay. 130. Then me. John, <laughs> 128. Then me, what? No. How is that? How did I get... I got the same... Oh, yeah, Seb got one less point than me. So Seb's got 123. I've got 124. Uh, and now we're on to the next part. How many points have I got? Uh, Joe is back for the podcast now. Joe has 130 points. Oh. So you are last still. But I have moved into I, second place. I'm still place. last. Yes, you're still last. But I do believe you've got good scores coming in, Joe. So now what we have... What's the, what's the gap between uh, Seb and Joe? Seb and Joe. Seb's 123 and Joe is 130. Only seven points. Seven points. So if Joe were to do a nil-nil and it was a seven-nil, yeah. it would be equal. Hmm? It's crazy. We're doing Netherlands versus Argentina now, Joe. Has it been a good podcast? It's been probably the best one. Oh. <laughs> I actually prefer it when you're doing it. You like the, been a mad the Cristiano Ronaldo of this podcast? Yeah. Has Jerry Durso been good? Sorry, I've, been, I'm Jerry Durso very close good, to your yes. face. Has he been good? Yeah. <laughs> I've been thrown off. Here we go. So, Netherlands versus Argentina. Points are bad, Joe. You have said 1-1. One, one. A bold move. From Joe, bold. Bold. Yeah. Then I think I am next. And I say it'll be... Oh, I can't see one one because it's done. I will say nil, one. A messy special. That means that Seb, in alphabetical order, goes next. 
And he <laughs> says, Netherlands 2, Argentina 1. Well, that's what I was going to go for. Well, that's a shame because now you can't have it. Um, what do you have, John? I'll go the other way around. 2-1 to the Netherlands. 2-1 to the Netherlands? I can have that, can't I? Yes, I've put in the same score wrong here. <laughs> no, Nether- he, he says Netherlands 2, Argentina 1. Oh, right. That's what you said. I'll do the other way then. Argentina 2, Netherlands 1. It's harder yeah. than it looks, isn't it? The numbers bit is, the yeah. The ad- administration of points about it. Yeah, I really am struggling a little bit. So... I think we've got the scores in now. Joey, I might as well ask you what you think your scores would be for Croatia versus Brazil. 1-0 Brazil. 1-0 to Brazil, he says. And Netherlands versus Argentina. 3-2 to the Netherlands. See, that's a good score. He's trying to get some points in here. Uh, And there, that's it. That's points are bad. So we've uh, covered points are bad and all the games. Joe's come in with some mad, been working since... 11 a.m. 20 days ago. Energy. Here we go. It's good. What? You feeling all right? But yes, I was... Sorry, John. I'm right in your face. I was just... The, the chat said, is Joe drunk? Not not drunk. Just very, very tired. I was trying to type in the chat, but it turns out when you're not the admin, you can't just spam as many messages as you want. There's a timeout for how many you can send. So... But that was me. If you saw John McKenzie typing something in the chat, it was me. Just <laughs> that one thing, though. Not all the other things. I would like to distance myself from all comments made under my name in the chat heading. And you might want to distance yourself from my face as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because of all this non-sleeping. Yes. Well, there you go. It's a strange energy in the room to end the podcast. <laughs> it's gone pretty weird. Has it been like this the whole time? No. <laughs> <laughs> it turned. That was good, though. Do you think? Rooney! There we go. We're back on track now. Right. So that's, we've covered everything. Look, we've got all, we've given you all the football that you needed, all the coverage. There can be no more. And we will return on Friday, I think with Joe hosting again, because you'll be back and you won't be busy doing all stuff. And it'll be a lovely time. And you should come and watch it on the live stream, then listen to it on the podcast afterwards and subscribe to The Athletic so you can read all Joey's uh, articles. You'd like that, wouldn't you? I'd love it. There you go. See? (laughs) Couldn't sell it harder than that. Please, please. <laughs> okay, good. Well, uh, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. If you're listening on the podcast, thanks very much for watching. We're now going to go home all together. Goodbye. Bye.